Hello, everyone. Just a message before this episode starts. There is explicit language in this episode, so I suggest all small children leave now. Other than that, I hope you all enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Tabletop Radio Hour, your podcast for everything tabletop. My name is Zach, and this week we have a very special guest with us. We have Justin Soroyce. Justin, how are you doing today? Awesome. Really awesome. Good, good. Uh, for the people out there that don't know you, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. I guess at my core, I'm a writer, a fiction writer. I've been doing that for maybe 10 or so years. I have a couple series out. started with... Um, like writing uh, war fiction with uh, collaborating with uh, an Iraqi refugee. And then uh, over the course of a couple of years, I started writing more like uh, speculative stuff. Like um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call it science fiction, but um, sort of like speculative techno thriller kind of things. I had a three book series called uh, So Say the Waiters. And that was about an app where people schedule their own kidnappings uh, kind of recreationally. Like it's almost like Facebook. You like create an app and people can like themselves disappeared. So I wrote, <laughs> I wrote that. And then um, I have a new series uh, that's like a young adult sci-fi dystopic thing called two girls. Um, and that just kind of come out, came out a couple of weeks ago yeah. through uh, Kindle scout. So I'm stoked about that. I grew up playing video games, I guess, you know, like first gen Nintendo, and like Final Fantasy and Zelda being like my absolute first loves, you know, like just disappearing in those games. So like I, I feel that um, like my RPG sort of like heritage kind of like comes from the small screen, like 8-bit all the way through, you know, like Fantasy Star and stuff like that. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be sort of like a new kind of kind of relatively new to tabletop gaming, you know, like I didn't really grow up um, role-playing in a ta- on a tabletop, you know, it was all like, it was all like Nintendo and on-screen and PC, so. Right. right. Uh, how- full, dis- full disclosure. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Uh, go ahead and tell us, how, how did you get into role-playing? How did you get into role-playing games? Uh, like, when did that start, essentially? Video games or tabletop stuff? With tabletop stuff. Kind of a funny story, I guess. Like, I was writing video game, um, like a video game column for for our local city paper in Baltimore. That's where I live. Um, so I was doing that for like a year and a half, and it was super fun. And I was playing a shit ton of games, um, probably more than I should, like video games. Um, <laughs> and like really enjoying um, writing this column because it was like sort of like a macro um, commentary on games and their effect on society, sort of like not reviewing games in particular, but like how we all interact with games and Gamergate and all this, all this stuff that's sort of like boiling up right now. And then my wife and I got pregnant and I started thinking really hard about myself and how much I game and what that means to me and what I want to teach my kid. And I actually like re- revisited fi- like the first Final Fantasy. I like, I like fired up my old NES and put yeah. in, uh, Final Fantasy and ground like it's so freaking slow, but I ground through about half of it and was like, man, this is this is great. You know, it's so tedious and slow and text based. Like you have to read a lot and you have to like fill in the blanks oh, because yeah. it, like your imagination kind of has to fill in all the cool stuff. And that that's sort of the strength of those games. Like mm-hmm. they don't really blatantly tell you the plot. Like 
your imagination is cooking the whole time. Like even, mm-hmm. even like the, the boring, you're traversing like the landscape. You're still thinking like, all right, I'm sneaking around. My, my cleric is doing this. You're sort of like filling in the blanks. The more I thought about that, the more I was like, you know, I want, I want to explore tabletop gaming because it has the, the story writing, sort of like all the good stuff that I believe in, like creativity and like, I guess it kind of came to like, hey, like I want to teach my kid to be less reliant on the screen, like less screen time and more being present and being like creating like for yourself and for your friends. So like, that's really like, that was the catalyst like a year ago to getting into like tabletop gaming. So right. I'm kind of proud of that in a way because I'm like, yeah, I want to like learn it all for myself and then pass the torch hopefully to um, people I care about. So. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. And uh, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of the same way. I, I have a, a strong history in video games. It took up a lot of my time, a lot of my life, and still does, you know, like all yeah. the, all proud geeks and all proud nerds that we are. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I, I've just recently also gotten into tabletop games, and uh, it's maybe been five years uh, for me. Okay. But um, what was your first tabletop experience? Gosh, I, I think I'm really lucky because – being in like the um, like indie literary community, I knew Ken Bowman through all that, and he published uh, Maze of the Blue Medusa like last right. year, right. which is just like if you're familiar with it, it's like this gorgeous mega dungeon. Um, and he came through town last summer. I had already been like making terrain and like I did the dungeon dealer cards before he came, mm-hmm. but I like literally never sat down with a very talented GM <laughs> and then treated to that. And he, he's a, you know, he was an actor. He was like on Secret Life of the American Teenager. Like he's, he knows his craft as far as like acting and like right. creating his characters. And with um, Patrick Stewart, like the writer of that, of that module, um, Ken knows like every NPC by heart. I was super lucky to like have him stay over and like he ran it in my basement and I invited, didn't think he would come, but um, Zeb, like second edition D&D, like uh, David Cook came over. Oh, man. It was nice enough to, like, it was sick. It was, like, me, David Cook, uh, my buddy Jimmy, who's awesome, and then Ken Bowman right. uh, GMing. And it was just, like, something clicked in me. And he was using the black hack, um, okay. fortunately, because, like, I was so new to everything. And it was just, like, holy shit, you know, like, you can have a 20-page rule book and an excellent story and a gifted GM. That's a lot to kind of, I mean, that's not a lot to ask for, but, like, when you have those little components, you can create a fantastic six hour long, amazing experience. Right. And I, I fell in love like immediately. I was like, this is, this is what I'm going to do from not from now on, but for a long time. So <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's an yeah. awesome story. That's really awesome. Yeah. Uh, and and to, so I think to, I got really lucky. And to be with those people, like that's like yeah. the perfect environment to be in. Even the chicken scratch like notes that Zeb put down, like he didn't even have a character sheet. He just had just an eight and a half by eleven piece of paper. I like took that away. Like when he walked out of the basement, I was like, "This is this is my treasure mine forever." <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, my first experience was I, I went to a, um, a con here. They do like an anime themed con here in Tulsa. Yeah, and. Uh, uh, downstairs, they always do tabletop games, you know, tabletop games, board games, yeah. everything. And, uh, you know, I was just like, okay, why not? You know, I'm here for three days. Why not do this? You know, so I, the very first yeah. day I go down when I get there 
and uh, don't come out for three days. <laughs> no, no, uh, but I but I go every single day and uh, sure, yeah. the group I played with, we were playing Pathfinder at the time. Yeah. And the the GM, the guy that you know, the guy that ran these modules, it was like Adventure League, essentially, if you know what Adventure League for D and D is. Yeah. But, um, it, it was like that. So we had different modules. We ran like three in a day, and and then kept going. But this GM like seemed to know absolutely everything about yeah. you know about the NPCs, about the setting. Well, come to find out later that it was the person that actually wrote these adventure modules. You Perfect. Know, yeah. These published yeah. adventure modules, and we were like, I yeah. was like. My first experience was a lot like yours. You know, they know what they were doing. They they wrote these, you know, different modules. And it was – I think it made my experience now on, you know, it made me appreciate that just because, yep. uh, you know, I started on the right foot with a GM instead of, you know, yeah. having, a, having a buddy and going, hey, I don't know this. You don't know this. Let's try it out, you know. And that's kind of how yeah. games fizzle sometimes. Sure. Yeah. And like, or just have really negative experiences. Like I've, I've been with players that have told not horror stories, but like have had really malicious GMs that don't really understand fun, you know, or like being generous. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. It's all about fun. It's fun first. (laughs) Definitely. And that's, that's how I GM. That's how I I do my games. Because uh, if you haven't listened to the podcast before, you know, we talk about the game seventh C by, by John Wick. And it's okay. a predominantly, you know, storytelling kind of uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, uh, just kind of, you know, fun adventure storytelling game that mm-hmm. um, that's real, real focused on the story side as opposed to the the actual system side. You know, sure. the system yeah. really easy and everything. And you know, once I found Seventh Scene, once I tried that, I realized, you know, I am more of a storyteller than a, a rules lawyer essentially yes yeah, yeah, yeah just just because i care about the fun and i care about these ex- experiences that the players have and and how their characters interact with each other yeah absolutely you know yeah. and, you know the more i play and the more i play the more i realize that you know i talked mm-hmm. uh on a couple podcasts ago i don't know if it's out right now but <laughs> on a couple podcasts ago uh i was talking about i went to my local game store here you know and they do D D mm-hmm. every saturday night and i went and it was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> Not because of the yeah. GM, but because of how the GM works. Just because, mm-hmm. you know, we were playing D&D 3.5, and it was really right. crunchy. Yeah. And the combat lasted two and a half hours, and we did three rounds of combat. Um, mm. <laughs> See? It's just not interesting to me. It's really no, not. Exactly. You know? exactly. Yeah. Have you tried any storytelling games? Like, uh... The White Wolf stuff or Seventh Season? No, no. no. I, I would highly suggest yeah. it. Okay. Just because, you know, it, it takes the crunchiness away from all the rules and everything and, and just focuses straight on the story and what these characters do. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, what what games – are you running any games right now? Are you playing any games? The only stuff that I'm running is what I'm writing right now. Okay. And then so – um, Beneath stuff. Yeah, and then my one of my players wrote a side quest for for my story. So we're, while I have some downtime between books, he's running that. So perfect. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead and go ahead and tell us a little bit about Beneath. You know, you know how much okay. I love it, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, go ahead and just tell us about that a little bit. Yeah. So um, it's sort of like I wanted to write something that was really grounded and dark, 
it's it's a medieval fantasy, of course. There's no dragons or orcs or anything like that. It's it's almost like um, Clive Barker-ish alternate planescape dungeon kind of stuff. And I feel that it's it's pretty unique enough. Um, it kind of stands out from a lot of other modules, and it definitely pushes the boundaries um, of your party's comfortableness with each other really depends on what the GM wants to do. Like I, I wrote in the introduction, like you can be as mild or, or hardcore as you want with the experience. Yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy with it. Like it's, it was my first attempt at writing a module. So, and the illustrator we got is the characters to life. And I think it's a pretty fun book working yeah. on book two right now. So yeah, I really enjoy it. I've read about half of it just because I haven't had any okay. time, but um, what yeah, I've read yeah. is, is completely amazing. And I love the artist. That, that you you chose yeah. for that. And that's good. Yeah. Good job. Good job. <laughs> Thanks. Um, Cost a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. That's the thing. I like broke it with that Kickstarter. I basically broke even. I might have lost money, but I don't care. That's it's not <laughs> the point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now let me ask you: Do you have any any influences from you know the Beneath series, or you know what gave you that idea? What what brought that idea into your head? My major influences with Beneath would be, this might sound weird, but like uh, Cormac McCarthy, like, um, okay. yeah, like Blood Meridian. Like the book is kind of rhythmic. There's like a lot of repetition in it and it talks about salt. Like um, salt is really important in the book and it will be through the series. Making it very um, environmental. Like a lot of his novels have a lot to do with not just the characters, but like where they are in the land language that that's used kind of embeds them in this environment but i'm not a stylist like it's i don't think it's written stylistically per se i had i had him in mind when i was writing it and i really wanted to write it not like poetically but like have some of those like rhythmic devices in the story and a lot of like environmental things repeat again and again right but and that that's helpful to me because it's sort of a closed system or Mm -hmm. or closed module like i wanted to like circle around at the very end and I want it all to kind of wrap up and make sense with like the economy because there's like stained salt magic items that you have to like craft and like um, obtain. Then the salt isn't quite what you think it is. It turns out to be something kind of, kind of gross. And, um, <laughs> I just wanted it to be weird and different, you know, like I didn't want it to be a standard story right. and I want you to care, care about the NPCs. Each NPC you meet, each major NPC will have a, a secret or, or twist come like book two. I feel like book one is all exposition. Like it's all set up. So right, right, right. Definitely. Uh, yeah. So book two will solve like most of that stuff. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Now I have yeah. to ask, did, did the dark Souls series have anything to do with your, uh, your influence on this? Yeah, for sure. I love those games. Mechanically, physically, environmentally, those games are perfect. Narratively, like most, like I don't say most Japanese games, but a lot of Japanese games, I'm like, I either don't have the brain for it, like, linearly. I just don't know what's going on. I don't pay attention. I don't read anything. I just, like, hammer my way through and, like, gawk at the beauty. I like simple simple emotional stories. So, like, for me, the Dark Souls series doesn't deliver any of that. Um, and that's fine. Like, I don't need that for Dark Souls. But for my stories, I need it. So, so half and half. Like, the grotesqueness, the, the darkness of Dark Souls definitely seeped into beneath um right for sure yeah because the more i read it the the more i you know kind of realize because i love these games too i love the dark souls games oh my god they're amazing we could talk about amazing. that for for so long <laughs> yeah <laughs> but, uh, 
but yeah, I, I could definitely tell that there was a little bit going into your brain from that one. Work best under constraints. So like when I when I start a book or a series or anything, I'll write down what I can't do. So like with two girls, I'll, I'll admit stuff on here. Two girls for the for the two book series, I told myself I can't use any color. So in my mind, the book is written in black and white. No metaphor. The grass can't be green. I can use black, white, and gray. And that's mm-hmm. And there's a few other constraints in that book. So for any project that I write, like Beneath in particular, you know, like no cliche fantasy elements. No, did I, what else did I leave out? There's a lot of magic that I didn't want to address. I wanted like whatever system is being brought to the, to the table. I wanted like the players to have that magic and that's it. So like there's a lot of things like I, I told myself like, no, you can't do that. So I'm not sure why I brought that up, but. <laughs> not a problem. Constraints. Not a problem. Constraints are good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It, you know, when yeah. writing, that's that's definitely a thing to think about. You have to limit yourself. You have yeah. to to go at a mindset with you know a specific thing in mind. You know? Yeah. Well, actually, all right. So, like going back to Dark Souls, like Dark Souls is really amazing at constraint. Like, it, like the palette, the color palette, the the type of enemy, and like the lore. I can't even talk about the lore because I don't even know it. But, you know, just like the way that it, the way that it looks um, is in some ways very constrained, even though it's a very gigantic game, you know. Yeah, yeah. Abso- absolutely. Yeah. And there's so much that we don't even know about the Dark Souls series that, that we can't even begin to think to talk about because we don't know it. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So with Beneath, I know you, uh, you know, you did the Kickstarter, successfully funded. And um, yeah. You you sent out the the book. You know, I also know there's a player's handbook 1.1 that you did. Yes. Is, is there a, yeah. a big difference between that? You know, what's what's all in the mm-hmm. player's handbook that's not in um, uh, the module? So the player's handbook will give players without any spoilers like weapon lists, map like all the some of the bigger maps. None none of the maps of the dungeon or anything like that. There's a list of the town, like Craggly, like what to do there once you've finished the first module. And then there's a 50-page GM-less mission that you can go on, nice. which is kind of intricate. Like your whole party can do this thing. Enemies have a 50% hit rate. You know, it's just like right. when, when you go into the, the crypt, um, it's super, like the system's really simple. But what makes it unique is that you, I don't know if I'm spoiling it, spoiling it but before you start that mission... <laughs> There's four motivations that you choose. Uh-huh. So you have to, once you meet this certain NPC, he'll tell you this, like the hook and the setup, but he'll say one of you needs to choose one motivation. You can both choose the same, but you have to share the rewards of that motivation. Okay. Or if you have four players, each one can have one of the four motivations. In order to achieve each motivation, you have to get like, a, I think it's like 20 points and it'll like tell you when you've earned those points if you've done certain things. Right. So you could go through, and the whole maze is a circle, so you could go through the whole circle and potentially not hit your motivation goal okay. and get maybe 70% of the, the reward or something like that. So. Gotcha. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That's a really cool mechanic, you know, and uh, bringing Thanks. up the, the dungeon dealer cards, you know, you just uh, funded that Kickstarter. That's the second Kickstarter. Yes. And, yes. Uh, with you not having a lot of time, how are you gonna gonna bring out five new decks? <laughs> <laughs> they're all designed. <laughs> they're all they're all done. What I learned with Kickstarter is that like it's easy for for me to think of cool stuff and it's fun and I can design it fairly well. 
it's just the fulfillment and the mailing is terrible. Like it's just, it's really difficult. The international orders, like I don't have a scale and I don't have a printer. I'm really kind of renegade, you know, like running to the post office during my lunch hour. So, (laughs) um, absolutely. Uh, but, but you did get that, uh, that first Kickstarter out pretty fast, which, which I applaud you for. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you should have seen our entire kitchen. We live in this row house and my wife was painting all the black layers on every tile and we did over 2000 tiles. Um, so yeah, it was ridiculous, man. So she, she helped out a lot. (laughs) Kind of transitioning over to your fiction, you know, you, you've released quite a bit. I know you started with that, that series, that, that first series was, um, 2012 Hawkins on the Floor came out, and that was like my, my first novel in collaboration with Hanin El Shaljari. So long, wicked long story short, she um, fed Baghdad in um, 2003, 2004, went to Amman, Jordan. She was really young with her family, and then skipped around, ended up in Egypt for a while. And then we just basically wrote this book over like Gmail and like Gchat. Okay. Um, I like I found her on this like pen pal website. I started writing the story. Initially, I was just interviewing her for, for like, like the book, like right. for, as research. And then I found out that like she's a really strong reader. Like she reads like Dan Brown and Stephen King and all this stuff. So I was like, do you want to help me edit this thing? And she was like, yeah, totally. So that turned into like this nine-year relationship. That would have been 08. We worked remotely the entire time and we put out three books. So Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Been crazy. Crazy, and now she lives in Baltimore with her husband, which is even weirder. Yeah, uh, so she's safe. She's very safe, not in Iraq anymore. So good, absolutely. Um, That's good to hear. Yeah. So there's that series, and then the uh, so say the waiters is uh, uh, it's been optioned for TV for like three and a half years, oh, really? um, and that's been a very like tedious process. It's a crazy fun series. That's the one with the app, like the kidnap app. So, right. Then, then you just recently started with the two sisters series. Oh two uh, yeah. Two girls, two girls. And that one, um, I did, that one was with an agency for like six months and they, um, they were like all hyped about it. Like, Oh yeah, we, we love this book. You know, we'll get back to you. And then after having it for half a year, they're like, well, we're going to, I was like, pretty upset about that i ended up like sticking it on um amazon scout i don't know if you've heard of that but it's a website where you can upload a book people vote on it if people like it it might get a publishing contract um and i got lucky like they liked it so they took it um so amazon put it out like a couple months ago or a couple weeks ago so it's like brand new yeah yeah i still Um, need to pick it up i haven't had a chance to you don't have to buy all my stuff (laughs) (laughs) only some of it (laughs) <laughs> you, can, you can stick to the game stuff. <laughs> well, I am a very, but, I am a very avid reader. I mean, if if you would see okay, a book good. here on my desk, I have so many books, and, uh, and even, <laughs> even more in the bedroom on on the other side of the apartment. But uh, <laughs> awesome. well, this yeah. one's cool. This one's about. Um, it takes place twenty years in the future, and for twenty years, there's some genetic mutation that happened in like 2018. So, um, an entire generation of people were born with an identical twin. So you would literally have a double of yourself in your life. Um, and after 20 years of this happening, like 
as a global phenomenon. This generation is called like generation two, and they've sort of like redefined what it means to be an individual. Like the identical twins want to be more like each other. Like it's kind of cool to be as identical as possible. But it's kind of like the older people in the book are really upset because they just don't understand, you know, and it kind of, kind of mirrors like trans stuff that's going on like these days. Like people have a lot of older people are having a really hard time with like this like culture shock of like gender meaning a different thing to many younger people. Two girls in the story, they're identical twins, but they have a they have a secret. They're not naturally inclined to be just like each other. So okay. that's the hook. Okay. And nice. I that's all I can really say. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if you want to know more, yeah. read the book. <laughs> Please. Go buy the book. How many books are you doing in that series? Just the just the two? Yeah, I felt like two girls, two books would be enough. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, are you working on the, the second one? Or are you already done with the second one? Where are you in that process? It's done. Um, I have a second draft, which will go to my proofer and editor soon. So Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. And you said you're working on the second book of the Beneath series? Yeah. That is going to be a bit larger, I think. <laughs> Um, I want to finish, I didn't want, I want that story arc to end with book two as well. So okay. I think beneath book two, it's right now it's called the spire and the sound the sound being the, um, there's like a church bell inside the, the dungeon <clears throat> that you hear once in a while working on that. There's a really compelling NPC that the GM gets to play as for much of that campaign. That's fun. She's a witch and she has like a bag of human parts that she's <laughs> cured with, with the stained salt. And she can pull them out and make them do certain things. She literally has a dick in a bag. So. <laughs> <laughs> I shit you not. She's got other parts too, but yeah, she definitely has some, a penis in a bag. You know, an app GM can play that seriously. <laughs> if, if you wish. You can pull out whatever you want as a GM. You don't have to pull out the dick. <laughs> or you can pull it out every scene. <laughs> And that's, that, that's what makes me special. <laughs> you have me dying over here, Justin. <laughs> I'm dying. Uh, end scene. Cut. I'm out. <laughs> Mic drop. Oh, man. Man. But, uh. Yeah. yeah. Emily with a bag of dicks. <laughs> she only oh, has man. one penis. But actually, you know, I was thinking, I was like, all right, so she's got all these bags. Of, she's got a bag of parts, and they're really powerful. And they're probably of like different, you know, sexes and classes and stuff. It's like random stuff. But I was thinking like maybe through the campaign, like they get used up. So she would have to replenish that part by picking it off a, another Somebody NPC. Else. Yeah. So potentially getting a different dick. You know, yeah. We'll leave skeleton. it. We'll leave a, it. a skeleton penis. Yes. <laughs> skeleton dick. <laughs> <laughs> straight up. Straight up. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Back to, a, back to a serious <laughs> note now. That's enough about yeah. <laughs> Um Need more whiskey. <laughs> I need some. Can you can you share? Yeah, I'll fax it to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my <laughs> listeners know me for the person that hates modules. You know because okay. fair enough. You know most most conventional modules they they're very linear and then they're very beginner level. Okay. I don't know how many modules you've played in the past, but I'm but a noob. A, you're a <laughs> you're a noob. Yeah, that's okay. We I'm all have to start somewhere. Yeah. We all have to start somewhere, Justin. <laughs> but yeah. um, 
you know, you know, the more skilled I get with the system, the less I like the module because it seems really beginner. You know, it's it's yes. very it's very straightforward and it does a lot of railroading. You know, there's yep. Yep. there's really no room for you know improv or going outside of the lines. Yeah, just because that's how modules work. You know, that's that's the simple fact <laughs> behind it. You yeah. know, and, and you know the, when I saw beneath and when I you know picked it up and and read it, you know it it kind of seems one hundred percent different than most modules <laughs> I've seen. You know, it's it's kind of you know breaking that routine that modules yeah. you know are about. You know, and I love yeah. that. I absolutely love it because there need to be more modules out there that aren't just for beginner level players or aren't just yeah. for teaching with beneath is it its yeah. own system or is it does it work with most d20 systems how does how does it work you know with with the systems it's definitely system agnostic you can use dungeon world or burning wheel probably i don't know a great deal about those systems but it, it would work but like you know like i come like going all the way back i come from a poetry background like i used to write like really esoteric really strange poetry for a long time and that's what i really cared about and I learned that, I think one of the few things I learned from that form of writing is that less is more mm-hmm. with everything. Right. Any great movie. I just watched Moonlight last night, which is freaking gorgeous. Like, it's one of the best movies I've seen in years. And you, it, like, doesn't tell you. It tells you 50% of what you need to know, which adds up to be 200%. Like, it, it's just this compounding, beautiful thing. So when I approach my module, when I approach Beneath, I want to do two things. Like, I want to give the GM tons of power and leeway because you're you're the director. Like, you're in command. And you're smart. Like, I know you're smart. Like, all, like I've never met a dumb GM, honestly. <laughs> like, really. They're all fucking smart. And everyone's going to bring their own stuff to the table. But I want to write something that, like, you can inject your own system and personality into and trust your players to help you out. I shouldn't have to say everything. I mean, I think that's bullshit. You know, I think that's really harmful to creativity. And I'm in it to be creative and collaborate. I, I think that, like, that's the strength of good art. You know, that's why, like, I hate most political art because it's, like, bashing you over the head with a message. You know, it's like, exactly. think this or think that. And that's boring to me. Like, I want to enter a piece of fiction or I want to enter a movie and feel like I'm participating because I'm not being preached to. Knowing very little about how modules are written, that's just the way that I approach all my art. And that's awesome. That's that's a form of unbiased writing, you know, because since you don't know you don't know a whole lot about the modules, so you're not influenced, you know, negatively or positively, you know, what be it, by yeah. that, the, you know, the routine, that exact routine, and which is it's great, you know, because, yeah. you know. With me, you know, I'm a I, – I call myself an amateur game designer just because I have <laughs> ideas about a lot of different stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I bring a lot of differences from, from module – or from uh, game systems that are out there just because yeah. I don't want to be, you know, negatively influenced by that or, you know, copy it in, in one certain way or another just because I think that's what makes successful art, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Going going outside of the box and not being as uh, I don't know as as similar to to the things that are already out there. You know, Absolutely, yeah, yeah. You want to create a unique product. Just speaking for myself, but I think a unique product that people can relate to. Yes, that's the trick. Like 
you have to be grounded and you have to like have these relatable elements, but you can't go too far out because then, then people are like, what in the world is this? Like, this is like right. bad science fiction when, when it's just like naming a million different characters and a million different locations and you're just swamped with theorizing stuff you don't want to care about. I mean, that's ultimately like kind of boring. It's like, you know, story first and, and players first and like character development, develop your fucking characters, you know, and like, let, let your players, let your players develop as, as friends and people. And then it's going to be, you're going to create memories. Like you're going to create hours where people are like, they're going to talk about it when they're like, you know, 60 years old. Like, remember that time you got, you did this and you did this and we all like died laughing and, but we made it out, you know, like that's, that's the magic of it. All you need is like good, compelling tension and characters to do that. You don't need a whole lot of junk. So, you know, the reason I love tabletop games is because of that collaborative storytelling. And yeah. that, you know, having all these players tell this story together instead of the GM being the only author and then just working mm-hmm. the story that he's created. A few mediums allow that to happen. Yeah. Very, very few. Like, honestly, like, I can't think of a, a another medium where you sit down with other people at a table and tell a story that everyone's involved in almost on an equal level. It's, it's, it's kind of an odd thing, like an odd special thing that happens. It's unique in itself. Like it really, I can't think of a single other medium that allows that sort of like collaborative storytelling to happen. Absolutely. And uh, I recently talked with uh, Jim McClure from the podcast Talking Tabletop. You know, his motto is tabletop role-playing games are the highest form of art known to mankind. He partially does that to get reactions out of people, but he really does mean it just because of that. It's the only medium where... Yeah, I'm going to bring up another quote from a different person, Robin Laws, who you might know. Tabletop role-playing games are the only literary medium where the author and the audience are the same person. Because, right. you know, right. the author being the GM or whoever, mm-hmm. whatever module you're running. Mm-hmm. But but honestly, that's just guidelines. That's just, you know, how what, – what you can follow to do it. Yeah. And the players are telling the story also by what their characters do. These characters aren't already established or aren't already written, you know? Yeah. And they're not a part of the story until these characters do this. Yep. And that's what I love about it. You know, I'll I'll say it till the day I die, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just because it's the only literary medium that is like this. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, an, it's a really strange thing. As a writer, to imagine other people interpreting your work in a room you know, four or five people together imagining something totally different from what you maybe intended or not totally different, but all their different like experiences to the table and like their biases and both good and bad. It's a trip, you know, it's just like you can read a novel and it's, it's a very static linear experience or you can write a module and it's just this like beautiful monster of a, (laughs) of a document. It's it's like this, this, you know, like living document. It's, It's weird. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. And, and it's something that can change, you know, any second, you know, during yeah. a campaign, when you're sitting down during a session, yeah, anything can happen. You know, the yeah. GM could write eight different stories to tell, but the players don't want to do it. They tell their own story. Yeah, that's healthy. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. And it's great for the improvisation that you need, you know, both as mm-hmm. a GM and as a player. Yeah. Just to be able to react to whatever happens or, you know, turn on a dime and, and go a different yeah. direction. Yeah. 
And also, like, be present with your friends at the expense of uh, being a little less present when you're, like, the, in the first couple hours when you're just, like, sharp and on point, completely with your partners. You know, like, that's super special. It's half about the story, half about the experiences you have with the, the players, not the characters, at the table. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And it's a way to get, get closer to your friends and uh, getting to know them a little bit better. You know, yeah. just because you never know what they're going to be like at the table. You know, you know what they're like when yeah. you're having pizza. You know what you're at yeah. like when you're at the bar. But but the table's completely different. Yeah, it's like half therapy, half fist fight. Like. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I completely agree with that. Definitely. Yeah, it can get dark. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. And especially when you're playing something like Beneath, like you're doing, <laughs> and with all your friends. You know? yep. I'm sure that yeah. gets, that's pretty intense most of the time. It is, yeah, in a good way, I think, yeah. Yeah, it helps build character, right? Yeah. So so kind of going over to more of your gaming side, you said you've been recently playing, you know, the stuff you've written. Yeah. Have you been just GMing that, or have you been on the player side as well? Mostly GMing that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, um, um, I've, jumped, I've like, um, jumped into second edition stuff with friends, just okay. as a guest. That's just like, play like a pretty balls out campaign. It's really absurd and crazy and fun. Um, that's, that's, that's the only time I really get to be a player. Um, and with the side quest that my buddy is uh, writing for Beneath, I'm a player. Right. I feel a little more comfortable GMing, even though it's harder. <laughs> it's so much fun. Hey, I, I applaud uh, yeah. you. We need more GMs out there that, <laughs> that like GMing. <laughs> sure, yeah. Because in the past, for me, you know, it's been I've pitched a game to my players, to my, to my buddies. Yeah. I'm the one that has to run it. Because that's right. that's only only you know normal, yeah. And so that usually happens, and then happens again, and then it keeps happening. Right. <laughs> but yeah. now nowadays it's more of I want a GM because I want to grow that skill and grow those abilities, flex those muscles, those creative muscles. Yep. Yep. You know, and I'm I'm the kind of person that enjoys the writing a whole lot because I've got probably. Yep four book drafts that are on my hard drive that absolutely suck, but I've written them, you know? That's how it works. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah but uh, <laughs> me being the person that cares about the story more, something like Seven Sea that, that isn't about, you know, different monsters or different creatures or magic items, whatever you have, you know? Yeah. It's, it's more about, you know, the story and kind of like the back and forth between the people and the players. But yeah, uh, if you haven't experienced those, I would I would suggest it when you get some time. If you get some time ever, if you're not a <laughs> if you're not writing books constantly, yeah. Well, if Ken uh, Ken Bowman were in town every week, he could be my GM because that was cheers to that. Fantastic, but yeah, um, I would love to just sort of kick back and not create stuff for a day. I feel I feel like I bite off a little more than I can chew with the different projects that I'm doing, but uh, yeah, it would be nice just to just to be a player for a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, my co-hosts Mark and Steve, we're gonna get games together and everything. We'd love to have you if you if you ever get a chance. Definitely. Sure, yeah. Back to your past. What what made you start writing? What put that seed in your in your brain? I was a comic book cover nerd forever. Back to when I was like ten or eleven. Definitely started with the Ninja Turtles. So Ninja Turtles to the birth of Image Comics. So like the Max and Spawn and Mm -hmm. all those like strange, like all the guys that broke out from Marvel creating Image Comics. 
So I was like, I was pretty young. I guess I was like 12 or 13 when that happened. Okay. And then I would go to, I'd go to the mall and buy, um, secretly buy heavy metal fantasy magazine and sneak <laughs> it back to my house and just like geek out over like, you know, death dealer and all the like Mobius, like the French artist, um, just like falling in love with all that stuff. I wanted to write comics, write and draw comics for years. And then when I was 18, I went to art school. I was a printmaking major. I can draw, not really well, but I can, I can draw. So, but like through, through art school, like I got really like kind of like pretentious, like I'll, I'll, full disclosure, like I started making like super pretentious, like art, uh, and writing poetry and just sort of like got away from like my, a lot of my like writing roots. I feel like, God, I'm like, I'm going to be 38 in April. So I, like, I feel like I'm finally allowing myself to sort of go back to this like place where I came from that sort of combines all these like weird talents that I have. So like, I, I'm, I'm a decent writer. I'm an okay artist. I can sculpt some stuff, but like right now, like it's been a year, like I feel like right now I can kind of, kind of combine all those things together into like this unique mush that people like. It's a weird place to be in like, almost middle age. I don't think it's worth spending a hundred hours or 500 hours on a novel or a series without asking yourself, does the world freaking need this thing? Like that's why I wrote the war fiction stuff that talked about like Fallujah and Blackwater and like all the freaking atrocities that happened that created ISIS. I mean, that was, that's my, those were my first books. Um, and then the kidnap app is all about America and like the, the housing bust and like this, like, sort of like strange like gig economy like uber like cascading into like these weird subcultures girls is it's about a privatized military and like it's about a generation that is changing faster than the previous generation cares cares about so it's like i always ask myself does the world need it then i'll spend a bunch of hours on it and hopefully make something compelling my side you know and i'm on the show's side we enjoy you know the content creation you know doing the podcast <clears throat> Yep. And, uh, you know, my co-host Mark and Steve, they've both uh, developed games and released games. Yeah. So they understand the, the game developer side of that. You know, and me, I'm kind of in limbo between everything just because I'm 23. I haven't had that much life to live, you know, and, and I'm still trying to figure out what my, my niche is. You know, I've got ideas. I've got things I want to create. You know, as far as like game development and, and, you know, writing and everything. I was thinking about, you know, creating a, a game system that's a lot like, uh, you know, the Elite Dangerous, you know, the Elite, um, you know, the video game series. I was like, okay, okay. And, and kind of the farther I got into it, the, the more I'm like, it's not right. It's not, you know, I just wasn't feeling it. McClure asks the question, you know, why are you developing this? Yeah. And if you can't answer that question, you shouldn't be. Yep. Yeah, I couldn't yeah. answer that question with that system. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, now in, in the past months, in the past weeks, I've, you know, kind of made a 180 and I am working on a, uh, a kind of CSI, uh, Sherlock Holmes kind of crime scene uh, gaming system, you know, just to cool. with the idea. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, with me, that answer is I don't, I don't know a game system out there that's like this. You know, because right. the more yeah. research I do about it, I haven't found anything, you know, and there's such a, there's such a big market for that, you know, yeah. not, not the money side on the market, the, uh, the, the, uh, interest side 
on on that market yeah. because you know shows yeah. like CSI, Bones, uh, you know all those crime scene investigation shows. They have the shows, they have the books, they have the fiction. They don't have the game, and I know gamers want something like this. Yeah, absolutely. That's something that you could license, like if you had a strong enough system, for sure. Definitely, yeah, and adapting that to the the CSI or or Bones or anything, you know, or, or even taking it back in the past and doing something like Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, yeah. I'm wanting to create a system that can be adjusted to any any time period, any setting. That's the word I'm looking yeah, for. Yeah, that's really smart. And you know, something like that with murder, kidnapping, <clears throat> all that stuff is something that has always happened and will always happen. Sure. Yeah, you can do like a Jack the Ripper, like, are you the one that's going to figure out exactly what happened kind of thing? Exactly. Yeah. Or you could head to the future, a futuristic space setting or, you know, yep. something something that can be related to any any time, any universe. When creating content, it, it goes to the, the question of why are you doing this? And that's a, that's a really, that's a super tough question for someone. Like, I'll, I'll kind of... It's like my earlier work when I was like writing like poetry and stuff, I was writing it for myself. Um, right. And I, I wrote it because I enjoyed it and I loved the language play and I loved the community that I was in. I also wrote it because it was the only thing I knew how to write. And I reached a point where exactly what you're talking about. Like I, I, I thought like I was sort of painting myself in a corner, you know, and I was speaking to less, fewer and fewer people. And I was like, you know what, like this just doesn't feel like conversation at all. So I think in the end, when, when you know you're making something compelling, it's, it feels like a conversation and then people want to take part. And that's, that's a space where you, as a creative person, you learn more and you're like challenging yourself more because more people are pushing you or more people are asking tough questions and more people are like, Hey, this shit's broken in your game. Like, <laughs> what did you mean by that? <laughs> right. Oh, or like this NPC is boring. Like, why? Why? What were you doing? Like, what did? You, like, this is a this is a nothing. This is a garbage person. Like, why? Do, why are they there? That's a tough question for like both a, a young or an old creative person. Like, why the heck? Why are you bothering with this? Yes, it's making you feel good. Yes, you're sitting in your room and like your brain's exploding. And like when you have a good day writing something, it's like the best day ever. It's an amazing feeling. But sometimes you're like the next day you look at it and you're like, whoa, like what the heck is this? Like, who's this for? Like, is it just for me? Cause if it's just for me as the creative person, then it might not be that great, you know? But honestly, that could be justified <laughs> with that is why you're doing it. You're doing it for yourself. You're doing it to get it on paper, not, not for anybody, but for yourself. Sure. Yeah. And that's, that's good exercise. But I think when you're creating a product, there's a lot of compromise when you're creating a product. Right. Um, that, that was a hard lesson for me. Like, cause I wrote two novels that I threw away because they were really esoteric and they were like, they didn't give enough. You know, they didn't have enough faith in the reader. Just tried to say too much. Like saying too much is the worst, you know, like this, when you try to cram too many cool things into one product or one document, it just, it falls apart. You know, it's a, it's a behemoth. And that goes back to the, the less is more kind of thing. You know, that's, I, I truly believe in, the, in that. Like, make it simple. 
make people care, have some heart, and, and I think you win. Absolutely, and <laughs> and that's the thing. That's a, a learning curve, you know. Yeah. When writing anything or creating anything. Yeah. Just because, you know, writing in role playing games, it's such a, an intense thing. It's such an intense uh, process. It is. I think the empathy piece is big. Was big for me. So like understanding like when you're writing a compelling NPC, a you're meeting a stranger in a tavern or a, a, a dungeon, you don't know anything about this person, but giving them this like one backstory or one hook where, where the group automatically empathizes with that made up character. That was a really valuable lesson for me, like understanding that like, that's where people care. That's where people relate. Like if you and I had the same bully in high school, I could say to you, dude, Zach, like you remember when, you know, Johnny punched us both in the face at the same time and we both fell down. That was crazy. But like all of a sudden we both like care about Johnny the bully, you know, like right. there's, there's techniques to create those kinds of NPCs. Um, but it all sort of like, it all boils, not all of it, but a lot of it boils down to like empathy and emotion. And if you can recreate that, then people are hooked. Then players are like, oh, crap, like, punch Johnny in the face at the same time, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it took, I think it took me 10 years to figure that piece out because I was just writing poetry in a corner thinking I was hot shit. Right. When I was basically hot shit. <laughs> just a big steaming piece of doo-doo <laughs> talking to myself. <laughs> Transitioning a little bit over to Dungeon Dealer. Yeah. Where did that idea come from? It took a little while to develop. Like I had, um, I was building the terrain pieces and selling them on Etsy and just sort of like figuring out how invested I was getting in creating terrain, um, which I like immediately just like started, just get hooked on, like making the molds and gluing them and painting them. I was like, man, I can do this all day. Like, holy holy crap, you know, like, it's just so fun. But then I just started playing with, like, um, like a card system that made the terrain move, like, shift, just for myself, just, like, not even, like, having, a like, uh, people to play with. I just wanted to, like, sit down and, like, have a system to, like, just create, like, have a table and create monsters and just make things, have an AI system, basically. And then I shelved that because I was like, man, that's really cumbersome because, like, making all the tiles and selling the tiles as a set with a game thing, with a, a deck of cards was just too much of a buy-in and too little of a product to really present. So I was like, ah, scrap it. And then I was sitting on my floor gluing some stuff and I was like, well, why don't I just like make it a card deck where you draw it and then get rid of the tiles, like screw the tiles. Um, so I just kind of sat down and made a bunch of cards myself and figured out like, Hey, like it works. I mean, it's not perfect, but like you deal out the cards and you draw it and don't overlap. Like if things overlap, you just don't draw the shit that overlaps and right. it works. If you get in a dead end, you re-roll and you keep going. So on Kickstarter and people loved it and that was it. I was like, crap, like I'll just, you know, make another one and yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a great product. I love it. Thanks. I'm still confused on the uh, the chamber deck though. I'm like, does it work? Okay, okay. <laughs> you know, I have to I have to sit there and think real quick and be like, okay. Yeah. All right. That that's an odd one. Because that one was uh, originally that one was, was specifically for my tiles, so like the corner and the wall pieces. 
Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, people, whoever buys my tiles, because I had enough people buying them on Etsy, I was like, oh, they'll buy the deck too, and then have a random way to, like, roll those out. And it never really clicked. Like, it never, I don't, well, was, I don't, maybe it did, but, because we sold a lot, but I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if the two decks, like, meld the way that I thought they would, like the chamber deck and the maze deck, because they look really different. So maybe that's that's the part that doesn't really meld. Yeah, like, that whole thing. I don't know. It's been, it's been super fun to get emails from people from like New Zealand who are like teaching their kid, like, Oh yeah. Like last night me and my 10 year old sat down and like, we did a campaign on the fly with the deck and like, I get all these photographs and I'm like, that's the coolest shit. Like that's like, yeah, you know, you're teaching your kid how to like improvise like on the fly and like you're making little environments. Like that's, that's what I want. Like that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a sense of fulfillment for you. Definitely. I think, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, I'm definitely going to continue with those cards. We did the, the Undead Village, which is similar to the to the maze deck. There's, like, roads and dwellings. The castle deck, there's more constraints than that. Like, you have to build the perimeter first, and then as you explore the interior, you roll out the cards. Um, but it's basically the same. Yeah, um, definitely. It's just the maze yeah. deck with borders. Kickstarter market, like board games are definitely, there's like a board game renaissance going on, right? Like I saw a stat last year that like in 2016, board games outpaced video game funding on Kickstarter like six to one or something right. like that. Right. That's bananas. And that was before Dark Souls, like the Dark Souls board game. Like right. like that stat came out in June of 2016, halfway through the year. So like the quality of these games are just skyrocketing, like the mold making and the printing and the the mechanics are like great and like strange and experimental just fun to be part of that community right now and be allowed to make like my rinky dink little versions of 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 come on games and all that and all that stuff so right definitely yeah uh recently i talked with friend of the show chris rowlands from from the uh the podcast npc cast and Mm -hmm. um you know they've got a, a separate youtube channel slash company they're called 1000 xp you know, they're, they're uh, board game developers and, and role-playing game developers. Their whole motto, their whole mantra is, um, you know, encouraging creativity and inspiring agi- imagination, you know? Yeah. And that's what I love. You know, they're, they're running a Kickstarter right now for The Last Garden. It hasn't even been a week, and they've blown through 75% of their, uh, their stretch goals. You know, they funded wow. in, in less than two days. Yeah. So yeah. it's just this boom of of these, you know, these board games and you know even even role playing games. But right now, you know, it seems like board games are you know a little bit more popular than role playing games because of X, Y, and Z. You know, it just I can't say what exactly the reason is, but uh, I, I think it's the low buy in. I think it's like time wise, people are intimidated by RPGs. You know, like. I know I was for a long, long time, like, oh, I'll never have time or, like, the resources to, like, sit down and learn a system because I'm so damn busy. With a board game, like, you can watch a YouTube video, and within 20 minutes, you know, Catan, and you can play Catan for the rest of your life. I think a lot of adults who have expendable income now that are, like, between the ages of, like, 30 and 50 or whatever, they'll just they'll almost impulsively buy these $60 board games because they're nostalgic, they're cool, the art's amazing. There's no reason not to buy. I, right. Yeah. I get, they're all, they all look fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, I think it's the buy-in. I was talking to my buddy. I was like, 
I have a buddy, like I used to bartend and I have a buddy who still bartends. And the few times we get to hang out like one-on-one is when we play split screen, either gears of war or, uh, we were playing like army of army of two because it's a great co-op game. Like it's really hard. Like now it's hard to find split street, split screen campaign co-op. Like it's like a rarity now. Yeah. And I think like, maybe I'm going on a tangent, but like, I feel like the lack of that, I think a lot of people are like jonesing for the same experience with their buddy or their buddies in the, in a tabletop gaming experience. Cause that's really like the next, that's the only other version. Like there's, yeah. you know, that that's the split screen. It's the next best thing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that's, that's only helping whatever Renaissance is going on with the, the tabletop games. Right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, there are yeah. a million and one people that, that love video games more than board games, you know, and that's normal. Sure. You know? Yeah. And then there's people like us who love both. Yep. Yep. I yeah. think there's more and more of us, more and more of us happening, I think. Yeah, I think so. Because as people explore board games and realize it's not all Monopoly, it's not all Risk, it's not Candyland, you know, it's... Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's expanding, you know, and I think the more of us that grow up and teach our kids and, and stuff like that, that's how that knowledge grows and that's how that interest grows as well. Yep. God bless D&D. Love, fucking love D&D. But think about the 80s and how much merchandising they did and their acquisitions and like Wizards of the Coast. Does Hasbro own Wizards of the Coast? Like I looked at a box recently. The whole thing after all these like licensing things in the 80s. Like D and D got a little corporate, right? Oh, of course. Is that is that a stretch? No, that's definitely not like a, a stretch little, at all. Okay, a little corporate. So I love I love the fact that like now, and it's been happening for a while with modules and, and like all the indie stuff that's going on. Like role playing is punk again. Like role playing is like counterculture. It's always been counterculture. It's always been like a very odd thing to do um, in the eyes of the popular like culture. I think now it's like super punk and like, it's very like, there's a lot of opportunities to push the envelope and like say important things if you want to. Um, Cause a lot of people are paying attention and like through you stiff weirdos, like, <laughs> yeah, we're like, we're having fun. We're being dark, like make it crazy again. Like make it like, I think it's healthy to like stir up all those like kind of taboo feelings that like a lot of people had like biases like oh like these kids are in the basement like planning murders <laughs> yes and no like screw screw literal thinking screw like the literal world and commercialism and like all the boring stuff out there that like just like spells it out for you like this is a counterculture punk thing that's happening that we can own and make very avant-garde cool stuff you know like on our own terms like it's all like diy which is, I mean, that's that's the world I came from. I think that's really fun. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I, and I think as time goes on, you know, big box companies like like uh, Paizo and and uh, uh, Wizards of the Coast and those people are going to be on the back burner because yeah, all these all these indie artists and all these indie game designers are going to you know spread their wings and they're gonna. They're going to start creating yeah. more games, and they're going to yeah. have more appeal than these big box D and D games. Yep. Because yeah, it happens with so many different mediums, like music and movies, like mm-hmm. all the interesting stuff is indie. So 
Right, absolutely. And, and with yeah. with uh, crowdfunding stuff like Kickstarter and and stuff like that, that's that's expanding the market. Yeah, God bless Kickstarter. Absolutely. Um, honestly, like there's some there's some like schlock on there, but the people that take it seriously and like, you know, it's a, it's a great incubator for experimentation. You know, like you can like put something on there, and if it sucks, it sucks. If it's great, then you're going to get boosted. That's a cool thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I completely agree. You know, other than Kickstarter taking a lot of my money, you know, I mean, <laughs> I mean I'd say I'd say they're good. Mm-hmm. Definitely, because uh, that's that's my <laughs> fault. <laughs> but what's next for you? What's uh what's in the uh in the foreseeable future that you're planning on? I kind of started severed books four years ago with um like So Say the Waiters, like the the app series. Now I'm sort of like kind of crunching it all down to novels, the game books, and the dungeon dealer stuff. So under the under the umbrella of severed books will live the fiction, the games, and all that stuff. So this year we're focusing on dude Kevin Sherry, who's a local guy in Baltimore, got books out with like Penguin and Scholastic, the children's book author. Okay. So he he's he's one of my gamers. We've been like tight for a little while. And he's like, crap, like I want to do a game book. Like let's do a game book. I couldn't say no because he's amazing. He's a great illustrator. Uh, he's got a series called The Yeti Files, which is, like, really, really strange, and kids love it. But he's working on this thing. I don't want to spoil it. It's going to be for a really young audience, system agnostic, weird as hell, like, just cool and weird. And it'll come with a card deck of familiars. I guess this is this is the thing that's going to make it really different, where uh, even though it's system agnostic, it'll have um, these built-in familiars that you can draft. Almost like Pokemon in a way. But they are going to be expendable, so they will die in the environment. Uh, so you kind of like you're always like shuffling these these familiars, and they make make a lot of sense in the story that he's writing. That should come out this year. Beneath Two will come out this year. I have I've got feelers and two writers for for modules. Not committed, and I can't really reveal who they are here. Gotcha. Um, but they're they're fantastic, if, and if they say yes, then it will be. A great 2018. So, um, fingers crossed on those two. And then I'm working on a terrain thing, like a portable terrain thing with a woodworker, and it'll be like a very limited edition portable terrain thing. I, that's all I can say. Just ideas <laughs> right now. That's, that's what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't want to overdo the Kickstarters. I think that's, um, my wife was like, Justin, like, you need to take it down a notch. Like people are going to be suspicious of you though the Kickstarters. And I'm like, yes, I agree. Like I need to primarily deliver on my dates, which I've been pretty good about. But I think with the, with the train thing, I'm going to team up with the woodworker guy and he's going to run the whole show. Like it'll be under his moniker. Right. Um, and I'll just provide them the molds. So. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm more excited about the book stuff at this point. Uh, I know you're working on settlers of Satan. <laughs> Oh God. Yeah. Um, that, I made the molds. I'm, I'm 70% happy with the molds. I think it's a project that I'll have like a really limited release. I'm pretty sure it'll be Kickstarter on Kickstarter. I like, I'm not a great painter. I'm not a good, I'm a shitty painter. Like I can't paint minis and I can't paint terrain very well. So like I can't create settlers of Satan and paint everyone and make them a product that people will buy that way. So they'll have to come unpainted basically. Right. So it'll be that, that kind of thing, which is limited to who will buy it. I'm just trying to figure out like who actually wants this weird 
thing that I'm making. Well, I mean, you can you can um, always send me one. You can, you can send one to you have my address from my kicks from your kicks. I do have your address. Just send just send one to my way, and uh, I'll be happy. <laughs> it's a funny thing. Like I um I have them right right behind here. Um, but like yeah, the into the necrobis, like the 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 yeah, rogue guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did a great job. So. It's definitely going to happen. I just need to figure out what scale it needs to be right? Um, as far as how many we're going to make and all that stuff. Definitely. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's where Kickstarter is fun. Like I can like say, hey, I'm going to sell 50, not make any money. It's going to be fun. I'll make 500 bucks maybe and people will buy it and that's it. So Absolutely, yeah. Because yeah. with content creation, the, the people who really matter – are the people who want your product, not, not the, the people that'll just give you money. Sure. Yeah. And like this, like <laughs> sellers for Satan, like I can't, I can't recreate Catan cause like I, it's a, you know, like copywritten yeah. game. It'll just be the tiles and like a little figure, which isn't a game. It's just stuff. An add-on um, essentially. So I really, I really, yeah. Yeah. And like, I wouldn't want that to be too big cause I don't want to like, a get in trouble and B um, like I like a tan like I like the way that it already is so this would just be like a fun little like side project yeah absolutely and yeah if you can't have fun little side projects you're you're a big corporate uh, tightweight exactly exactly <laughs> <laughs> you gotta, you gotta experiment yeah I love I love your little um, skull guys from the um, from the, oh, thank you, the dungeon dealer. I need to paint them. Thanks, man. I haven't picked thank up you. any paint. That means a lot to me. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, I mean, how you feel about this whole hobby or lifestyle or however you want to call it, you know, I, I can really tell you're invested and in, and you're passionate about this. Yeah, walk into my office house. It's, my office is on the third floor, and every time I walk in here, I'm like this is a dream, you know, like I I'm surrounded by really fun stuff that I love. Like I love every little plastic bit of it, you know? And also like my son, Iver around and I'll be like, you're in the toy shop, you know, like you're, you're in the, the toy shop. <laughs> it just feels good. You know, like to be the toy dad, the guy that the dad that makes fun toys. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And getting sad. Oh man, uh, yeah, that'll be a way for you to connect with your kid in the future when he gets older. Yeah, you know, and that's that's, that's where it that's all started. It's a wonderful thing, you know. It's it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Unless he hates my guts. <laughs> well, don't say that now. <laughs> He's like, Dad, I want to be a corporate. I want to be. I want to be a, a money manager. <laughs> A pension fund manager. <laughs> okay. I can write a game for that. But can you play games too? <laughs> yeah, we can roll, roll for initiative, I think. <laughs> so where can everybody find you and, and uh, how can they support you? Severedbooks.com is the hub. So I would I would definitely go to Severed Books. And there, like, we got all the books, obviously. All the Dungeon Dealer cards are now print-on-demand through... Uh, drive through RPG, so that's all linked through Severed Books. Doing some weird T-shirts, some really cool weird T-shirts. And some of them are screwed up. <laughs> yeah, we're trying to <laughs> trying to push the envelope there too. The terrain, yeah, like all. I think you know, 
with that being the hub, like everything that we're trying to put out is either like different or strange. Like we do not want to put out anything that's typical. No orcs, no dragons, no, you know, it's just, it's not going to be your run of the mill anything. So yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, and it's not for everybody. So like some people won't like it and that's fine. Like that's totally fine. Yeah, absolutely. And, and with the internet nowadays, it's, it's easy to find people who want your products, you know? I think so. Yeah. Just because yeah. anybody that wants to find something of their interest, they can go into Google and go, Hey, what's this? And, and yeah. it pops right up, you know? Yeah. We do. We put a lot of effort into the Instagram. I think without Instagram, we would sort of be in a cave, right? an internet, internet cave. Yeah. That, that's our one like window. But, uh, but that's fun too. So yeah, yeah follow and, us on Instagram, Severed it's, Books. It's uh, Severed underscore Books, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yes. Cool. Yes. At Severed Books, uh, is it just you or is it you and a couple people? I mean, how's, how's that, uh, the business side of that quote unquote business for all those yeah, people so, who um, see me? <laughs> I, I would be like, I'd be the sole proprietor. Um, Scott, Scott B is our illustrator, or I'm going to, I'm going to say house illustrator, but like he's in, um, He's in Jersey, I think. Gimme, one of my players, he's working on like a Roll20 version of Beneath that nice. you can hopefully share with people. Yeah, it's looking it's looking great. And then um, our editor, we have a couple editors. So, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Nice small company. Company. Yeah. Yeah. In, in but it feels good to like pay artists. Like this, this is the first year where I paid a, I don't say a lot of money, but like it was a significant amount of money to artists and it felt great. Like felt yeah. really, really good. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, but honestly, I look forward to everything you're going to, going to work on in the future. And, and I, I, uh, wish you good luck, honestly. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. I love this community. I it just, it feels great to like admittedly being a new guy to all this and having like people that care and, uh, you know, there's a lot of jerks in the world, especially on the internet. And I haven't, I really, in the past year, I haven't met a single like capital J jerk in this community. Good. Maybe I've been lucky, but everyone's been pretty darn cool. Well, you know what? Actually, no. There was, <laughs> what is one jerk? <laughs> hey, there's got to be one somewhere. We made, there has to be one. Yeah, we made, I think we made peace. I contacted him. I think we made peace. So Good. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. But yeah, thank 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 you for being supportive and fun and easy to talk to. Hey, I mean, I'm always here if you've got somebody to talk to, you know. Cool, cool. thanks. Uh, and uh, your Etsy store uh, is it under Severed Books as well? That's still Dungeon Dealer. I think I'm, we're going to keep that as Dungeon Dealer because um, there's like a really strong community on there that knows it as that. So I think we have to keep it that way. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, there's the Etsy page. You have all your, uh, your dungeon tiles and do you have any, any card decks left on there or, uh, yeah, we, you know, we have four, um, sets of the original cards on there. Perfect. Yeah. And then I assume yeah. after, after you release all the Kickstarter stuff, there'll be a, a, an X amount of copies on, uh, on your Etsy store as well. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Perfect. But definitely go, go to severedbooks.com. That's, that's the spot to be. And that was my interview with Justin Zeroyes. Like always, you can find this episode on soundcloud.com slash tabletopradiohour and on iTunes. 
You can find us on Twitter at TabletopCast if you have any questions or comments. And we have an email address, TabletopRadioHour at Yahoo.com. I want to thank you all for listening and keep rolling 20s.